Yep. So how, what is the format for this? What are we doing? Um, <laughs> I just asked the same thing before you got on. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. We do I mean, because I read the books, but I mean, it's really, there. I mean, uh, oh, you know what? I'll shut up because you just started the talk. No, and I just no what are you going to say? No, I mean, I mean, are, 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 do you have a synopsis? Are we synopsing them ourselves? Oh, or? no, you don't have to worry about synopsis. I always drop the synopsis in. I, I'm, I, I always think, I always leave it for future me to do. Okay, are we doing one show covering all four books, or are we doing yep. four short e- episodes? No, one show covering all four books, treated like a trade, like you're covering a trade paperback. Oh, yeah, because there's really, I mean, overall, there's not, there's a lot, but there's not. You know what I mean. Yeah, no, I know. But there's it's, like some key points, but it's a lot of fighting and smashing. Yeah, that's why I figured this would be fine to do all four. To get, instead, originally, I was just like looking through, you know, Thanos appearances. I'm like, oh, it's an issue of Iron Man. And then I read it, and I'm like, oh, those into the next one. I'm like, oh, this is all coming out of the stuff from Captain Marvel with the controller and the Blood Brothers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, there's not really that much happening. Like, we can do all four at once. Oh, and Paul, one, one of our own questions we had the other night was answered. Uh, What's that? Well, remember how we were saying something about, oh, look remember. at... Tom- <laughs> Thank you. We were discussing how t- Tony Stark's armor and like gauntlets was laying limply across a chair, and we're like, "Well, wait a minute, that doesn't make Flaccid. sense." Right? Flaccid, and but yes. it, in this first issue, it talks about how it's you know uh, there's a polarization it's a beam. It's like a lightweight, flexible armor. Blah, blah, blah. Impervious steel becomes suddenly flexible. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. It's like the chest thing is the only thing that stays. Everything else is like, cl- turns into like almost like a cloth. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Hel- the helmet becomes a mask almost. It's yeah, because whole- it like rolls up on his face. It's 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 in the first issue. Like right after he gets back from um, meeting Pepper on the train and uh, the guys, uh, the Blood Brothers have eaten all the pigs. And they take over the guy's truck, and then he flies to Stark International, and it's like his, the bottom of his mask like rolls up, so you see half his, he's half his head is Iron Man, half his face is, uh, you know, his, and then like his gloves are rolling back, like retracting. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, because there's even a whole point about this, all these four issues. He's talking about how he redesigned it. It's not a as sturdy an armor, strong an armor as before. It's more lightweight. Mm-hmm. So that could have been. What, what what I don't even remember what issue. Well, see that oh, was no, we we were doing that was that Avengers was early fifteen. Yeah, that was Avengers number fifteen, which would have been way before this. But uh, you know, whatever, I'll let it go. I think we came up with some no prize for it in that issue or a- episode. I don't really remember. Yeah. Well, you know, leave it leave it to as a mystery and make Al listen. Mm. Ah, damn it! Can't 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 pull back <laughs> the curtain now. Don't show the sausage is made. The sausage is delicious. First, the Blood Brothers kill the pigs. <laughs> Drank all the blood. Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And today 
we have two guests on today. Not just one. We got two. From Back to the Bins, we got Paul Spataro. Hello. And Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. We are the Bins Brothers. Haha. See what I did there? Yeah, you you forced some sort of uh, blood familial relationship with me that doesn't exist. <laughs> I didn't I, say blood. I, I, I want a bins. DNA test. I said Bins Brothers. <laughs> They're like the reverse blood brothers. The, the further away from each other they are, the stronger they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the closer we together we get, the closer we get to falling into diabetic comas. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yes, we tried to get the trifecta of, uh, back to the bins, but that didn't work. But, you know, two out of three ain't bad. Scott's on assignment. That's what Meatloaf says. Two out of three ain't bad. I once drove a guy crazy with that song because I kept playing it over and over and over again. It's like when I first discovered it when I was in the Navy. And then (laughs) finally the guy yells from over at his bunk. He's like, two out of three ain't bad, but a thousand times is effing ridiculous. Sorry. Anyway. My old roommate did that to us at a party. He was very, very drunk. Uh, Though it was a worse song. There's only so many times a group of people can hear Mbop played over and over again. Uh, somebody did it to me. Somebody got me back years later because I was on, on on the ship and trying to read something up in a up in a radar room. And the guy that was in there was he was playing Lionel Richie, Easy Like Sunday Morning, over and over and over. Was, and then I I just yelled up to him. I said, "Can we get to Monday, please? I'm sick of Sunday." That's why I'm easy. All right, enough musical interludes. Yes, but yeah, we're not here to talk about Lionel Richie or Hanson or Meatloaf. We're not? I know. I tricked you. Man, I, I, I prepped for the wrong show. I figured as much. I knew when I saw your listening play, your playlist on Facebook that there was a problem. But anyway, we are here to talk about Iron Man 88 to 91, which... Has a brief Thanos cameo, but more importantly, continues the story of the Blood Brothers and the Controller after their appearances in Captain Marvel, which we covered a while ago. And to tell you what happened, let's drop in that synopsis right here. Iron Man number 88. Fear wears two faces. Writer, Archie Goodwin. Pencils, George Tusca. Inks, Vince Coletta. Colors, Janice Cohen. Letters, Joe Rosen. Edited by Archie Goodwin. Cover art, Gil Kane, Mike Esposito, and Irv Montanabe. Cover dated July 1976. On sale date, April 27th, 1976. With a cover price of 25 cents. You can find this reprinted in Le Mincible Iron Man number 43, 
a French-Canadian reprint from January of 77, The Invincible Iron Man DVD-ROM, Volume 1, from January 2007, Essential Daredevil Trade Paperback, Volume 6, from 2013, and Marvel Masterworks, The Invincible Iron Man Hardcover, Volume 11, from 2018. Now, normally I write the synopsis myself, but I'm being a bit lazy, and also these synopsis seem to be available on ComicBookDB, so I'm stealing it from them. Thank you, ComicBookDB. Iron Man catches up to a train to find a still-recovering Happy and Pepper inside. She explains that they can't be a part of Tony's life anymore. It's too dangerous. He says he understands and leaves. Meanwhile, a truck driver finds a bunch of slaughtered pigs on the road and is attacked by the Blood Brothers. Tony returns to Stark Industries and chats with Abe Klein about overhauling the plant's electrical systems. Roxanne Gilbert has dinner with Michael O'Brien until she realizes it's only to get a reaction out of Stark, so she storms out. Having stolen the driver's truck, the Blood Brothers blow through a police blockade at the Lincoln Tunnel. Stark goes to Roxanne's apartment, where the doorman informs him she has gone with O'Brien, so he leaves his Iron Man and runs across the Blood Brothers. Harry Key leaves his office, preparing to commit industrial espionage at Stark International, as Detective O'Brien watches. Scrounger brings the controller some food, as Iron Man battles the Blood Brothers, becoming trapped under a pier. Hey everybody, I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. There we go. I love editing. I mean, until I have to do it. (laughs) That was amazing. I know. All right, so we start off. We got the first one, Iron Man 88, with the Blood Brothers on the cover, beating the crap out of Iron Man. Now, who who did this cover? Do we know? Oh, I'm going to say... I'm not going to look it up yet. Let me think here. I'm thinking Gil Kane. Uh, I'd like to say Gil Kane, but... By somebody like Romita. Yeah, because Iron Man does not look Gil Kane-ish. No, but the Blood Brother face does. Mm, but not as uh, his their nostrils aren't flared enough. Oh, that's not every single picture he drew. I know that's oh, the stereotype thing. It'll mm. probably happen in each issue he draws, but not every single page. Or well, image. I I know that. All right. So do we have a? Do we know who did it? Should, or, yes. I, oh, I'm oh, looking for it right now. Oh, yeah. Mike Esposito. Oh, I oh. am so good. <laughs> well, I was wrong on the anchor. Mike Esposito is not the strongest anchor in the world, although, from what I understand, a very nice man before he passed away. What was his uh, name we discovered the other? Mickey, Mickey DeMeo. Mickey DeMeo, that's right. Well, his name is Mike Esposito. His, his, right, but his, his uh, fake name. Or his nom de plure, as you said earlier. Oh, he had a pen name? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Now, this was interesting when I read this. I forget about this, and I guess because after a while, even though I 
did start with, with the comics years and years and years before the movies, you still kind of forget about the fact that Pepper was not always a part of Tony's life or even his romantic interest. I mean, this issue starts with Pepper leaving with her husband happy. And I checked and like she has only like a dozen or so appearances between like here and like 92. Yeah, well, because they leave the series at this point. They, uh, you know, it's it's very different from what we have in the cinematic universe. You know, she they have the kind of a love triangle going on, and then eventually she marries Happy. Kind of a Betty Brant, Ned Leeds, Peter Parker kind of relationship almost. They are somewhat troubled. He, he has this thing where, uh, you know, he's replaced Tony a few times in the armor, and he has this reaction where his body mutates and he becomes the freak. Yeah. Mm. And she's looking to protect him, so she takes him away. So she, you know, effectively left the series at this point until I'm thinking around like she. There may have been a, like a cameo appearance here or there, but I, I don't think she was a regular again until like the early 2000s. Um, definitely at least the night. I think I saw her coming up a lot more in '92. Okay, so I'm a little off there. I mean, what's a decade still, between friends? Yeah, but still, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah so like the from 90s, the cinematic universe, you would think, you know, she's it. She's the only love interest he's ever had, but no. Yeah, because she's back a lot, especially, and I'm noticing, and that's right, she was in a lot of the uh, the Kurt Busiek uh, written, uh, and I think it was Mike Chen who did the art initially, uh, the art, the Heroes Return series. She was in okay. there a lot. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm 10 years off on my dates with that. A little less than that, maybe. It's somewhere in the middle between what I said and you said, I think. Oh, I just peeked ahead. The other three books will have all different cover artists. Oh, they have cover, different cover artists and like a rotating uh, writer. Well, let me let me take a yeah, jump around. We, we got the the first one. The second one looks to be Gene Colan. No. Nope. Okay. Who is it? It is. Uh, of course, I just clicked off the page. John Buscema and Frank Giacoya. That is that definitely the the way the Blood Brothers are drawn definitely looks like Gene Colan to me. But I accept your uh, thing there. Well, it's, the, it's the what next Mike one, says. The next one cl- looks to me to be clearly Kirby. You are correct, sir. Kirby That's, and Adkins. Kirby was one of the first artists I could ever spot out. You know, at at a glance, because his 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 art style, especially his later art style, is so distinctive. Yeah. And this last one. Now, don't be fooled by the inside inker on that cover. Oh, I'm not looking at the inside oh, okay. of anything. I'm just looking at uh, I'm looking at the cover of issue 91. Uh, doesn't jump out at me as being anybody specific. I'm going to say it, it looks kind of like, you know, almost like standard fare of the day. So I'm going to say either... I'm going to give three possibilities here, and I'm going to try and narrow it down. Sal Buscema, Don Heck, or Herb Trimpey? It's Herb Trimpey. Anchor Audrey Bradford. And actually, if you look on the left-hand middle corner of the cover, you can see Trimpey's signature. Okay, that should have have made it easier for me to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also showing credited now, of course... Who knows whether things are accurate or not, but I'm looking on Comic Book DB, and they're also listing Gaspar Saladino on the cover as well. Hmm. Maybe that was maybe he did colors. Don't know. See Iron Man. See the controller. I don't know. I don't know. The characters are very detailed on 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 the cover 
uh, especially the uh, Iron Man's. Uh, I can't remember what was her name. Just just read the book, and I've forgotten her name already. The secretary. Oh yeah, she's introduced there. Oh yeah, um, she she's not happy. Here we go, Chrissy Longfellow. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. She looks pretty detailed for a. Uh, Chris, she's upside down. She almost looks got that kind of uh, Perez look to her. Because of the hair. Yeah, yeah. Because that's like the style of hair he would, yeah, would use. He gives for, every uh, every other woman. Well, I was gonna say for for Miss Marvel, but uh, yeah, you're right. I guess it is for every other woman. Well, it actually looks like the same. I'm looking at the cover and the page for uh, in '88. It almost looks like the same hairstyle Pepper has too. Hmm. Slightly longer, but that's it. Pepper. So who do we have on the interior art? The first one is George Tusca and Vince but- Coletta. And the second one is George Tusca and Vince Coletta. Mm-hmm. The third one is George Tusca and Jack Abel. And quite frankly, right from the splash page, you could see an improvement over the Coletta inks. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one is Tusca with Bob Layton. Yeah, hey, that, it, that that's why I was saying don't don't be fooled by the inside artist. This is this is a not yet having really made his bones, Bob Layton. You could see he's not. Yeah, but you could he, see he's not the, putting his own style into it the way he would later over uh, Romita Jr. No, but you could see the beginning. You know, you could still see the raw Bob Layton. I would say. Yeah, it's a definitely a this whole story, like forestry story arc, definitely has like a whole rotating cast of creators. I mean, even writing wise, we go from Archie Goodwin in the first two to Archie Goodwin plotting and shooter scripting in the third, and then it's Jerry Conway on the fourth. Mm. So it's it jumps all over. The fact mm. that it reads as well as it does is amazing. I, I I think it was it was a pretty easy read, but there's a lot of stuff going on. Hmm. Wow, we don't even keep the same letterer. Except Joe Rosen, I think, does the first one and the last one, and then there's two other letterers in, in, in between. We got uh, Wanatabe and Costanza. Costanza. How long ago had it been since Iron Man was... was didn't Iron Man go bi-monthly? Or is that just Daredevil? Uh, I think he was bi-monthly for a while. Because I, I, I just feel that there was one of those covers to where, you know, it said now monthly on <laughs> somewhere, but I can't picture mm. when that mm. was. Maybe not. I don't uh, know, at least not before this. Cause I'm looking back as far as 72 and it still seems to be, you know, all the months listed. My thought was maybe, was this an example of like it went monthly recently and they're all scrambling now to try and get monthly issues out. I'm mm. looking, I'm looking here like, uh, in 1973, there's a November and a December issue. Just checking the end of the year. Right, but then mm-hmm. 1974. There's a uh, issue number 66 is dated oh, February. Right. 67 yeah. is dated April. 68 June. is dated June. So it was bi-monthly there for for August. half the year. And then September. August, September, then October, then November, November, then January. So it was going uh, March, May, June for 75, July, August, September, October. So July 75 is when it started being monthly, or June 75. It started being monthly again. All right, well, it was, still, it was before that, but still not too close to it. I thought maybe it just had become monthly again. They were scrambling to try and get monthly issues out. Which explains the uh, the bouncing back with the creators to, to try and get this thing out. But it's almost a, a negative way of doing things, though, because if you're scrambling to get it out, 
you're going to lose something in the way of quality. Although I did enjoy this four issues very much, but odds are you're going to lose something in the way of quality, which means you're going to decrease the sales, and then you're going to probably go back to bi-monthly again. Mm. Yeah, well, that's always the debate with that, right? I mean, do we let it go slower if necessary so we have the just the issue coming out as it should be with the creative team? But then you could end up with like four issues or six issues a year only. Or do you throw the fill-ins in, which could be disappointing. But on the other hand, you have a monthly book out each month. I'm sure there were there were publishing and printing issues that came up with certain things being bi-monthly as far as how many books they could handle a month. But I'm also wondering if bi-monthly might be, you know, the purpose might be that the sales were not as robust for a particular title. So if you went bi-monthly and you got to remember this is the era where you'd find them on the newsstand you know an issue might stay on the newsstand longer because it took longer for it to get purchased but -hmm. over the course of two months you might sell as many issues as you were of a you know a a more popular title that was monthly yeah and your budget wouldn't be as high because you're not paying everybody to do this series every month yeah you're only paying them half i know the first thing i think of is when i was because one of the first things i read power pack went with issue 26 went bi-monthly mm. and i think it stayed that way for i think most of the rest of the run i bet if marvel went bi-monthly now they charge twice as much for each issue <laughs> well the prices now i mean you know just listen to back to the bins if you want to hear us complain yeah, about the current prices i don't want to go in there again no yeah oh, that's just... I, I agree i agree it's one of the things that pushes me more towards doing the digital stuff because i can wait a few several months and buy them for a dollar yeah, just or like on just... robocop yeah I'd buy that for a dollar. You can do that. You can do that with. uh, You can do that with stuff off. There's a lot of things I just don't buy off the counter. You know, the the only thing I buy off the counter is uh, some event books, Avengers, Iron Man. Um, uh, yeah, that's about it. And the Fantastic Four, which even the Fantastic Four, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I'll cut back because this ain't that good. Yeah, no, I still buy stuff at the the store because I have a store near me now, but I only buy the stuff that's uh, mostly things that would, I think probably will be for the show or, and then one or two other random things. I, you know, I was thinking maybe we talk a little bit about some of these characters, you know, start off with the blood brothers. I find them kind of interesting. I think they're another pair of villains that have kind of been downgraded over the years and, and made to, to look foolish and silly. And when written right, I think they could be pretty, actually pretty frightening. Yeah, because they're actually vampires. Yeah. So, you know, I think they were handled well under Abnett and Landing. And I don't think they were done badly at all in their early runs. But somewhere in between, I thought I think they kind of became a joke. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember how well, because but the current Thanos miniseries, which is kind of like a origin of Gamora series, like him first adopting her, so the Blood Brothers Brothers are there. They are not played so much as a joke. They're not that bright, but they are still pretty vicious. Yeah, I think I first read them when they appeared in that issue of uh, Marvel Feature. Oh, the Iron Man one? Which, yeah, which might actually be their their first appearance. I'm not sure. But I remember them... Oh, yeah, okay. I remember them uh, basically going to try and bite the thing's neck to suck his blood, and you know, it didn't work. No, no, no luck. Yeah, yeah but I'm just saying it, it did seem like a little chilling at the time. Just the whole presentation of these big, 
bulky beasts, and, and on top of it all, they're vampires. Do you think it's a... Uh, are the Blood Brothers kind of like a... You know the story of the Corsican brothers, right? The two brothers that are separated were conjoined twins, separated births, and they could, they could feel each other's pain. Do you think it's like a kind of a play on that? Yeah, I think I think it's certainly the same type of thing. Uh, you know, they they actually play with that a little bit in this this little run where uh, you know the closer together they are, the stronger they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the further away, the weaker they are. Right. Yeah, there's a. I mean, it's weird with them. There's actually a lot of stuff going on there. They're aliens. They're vampires, and then they have this power, that, that whole symbiotic power, too. They're like a little mashup. Because you don't really see aliens and vampires thrown together too much. Except on Buck Rogers. <clears throat> Sorry. It's very much a... Actually, thinking of another show you guys did, it's very much like Firefly. You know, it's a sci-fi western. Mm. Alien vampires. Oh, I mean, Jim Stalin... Did Jim Stalin write issue 55? Is, are they his yep. creation? Oh, yeah. That's the first Drax the Destroyer yep. and, of course, Creator the first Thanos. Mm, they were also so, yeah. later in the Lethal Legion. I guess they, get, they were not well. And that's yes. that's usually, it seems like, when they'll start Oh, wait, that's a downgrade. Legion of the Unliving. Sorry, I'm thinking. But that's, that's when they'll start to downgrade the power set on a lot of these guys when they... Uh, you know, when when they start having them become, you know, a member of a, of a team of supervillains, then all of a sudden it's, you know... You have one one hero who's got to defeat like you know he's got to run the the gauntlet and and beat five different villains, so you have to write it in a way where you get through each one fairly quickly, and then they start you know that starts the the downward slide on the uh, villains' power set. Yeah, no, I do remember them. It's weird, like I'm reading this and they're kind of creepy, like you said, and yet I do remember reading and I can't remember specific instances though, and I wish I could. Of I remember them being kind of portrayed as like a joke. But I'm just trying to remember where that was. Yeah, I'm I'm not really sure <sighs> either. Yeah, not that important. But Are I yeah, yeah, I de- definitely got that feeling about them. The controller is a villain that I I think like he went from, you know, kind of a uh I guess a technological villain in his early Iron Man appearances uh and then became more of a cosmic villain, you know, when Starlin started playing with him. Yeah, he used him as one of Thanos' minions. Actually, the the controller was is uh, was just currently in the storyline uh, for this month's Iron Man. Um, they just wrapped up a storyline with him in it, where he oh, had really? actually, yep, he had actually t- taken, was able to hack with the help of, uh, oh, I believe it was Sunset Bane, and uh, here's a name you might remember and think about what year is next year, Arno Stark. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, I've been. Yeah, hoping for next year to have that. Oh yeah, on. they're they're building up to it in the Iron Man uh, books. You know, say building up to Iron Man twenty twenty. They have to. S- Tony Stark created like a virtual reality world to uh, to where you would actually put on a Iron Man type helmet and go in his virtual play world or whatever. Uh, oh, I can't remember what he called it. I, oh, Escape. So, uh, get it? Escape, Escape. So, but the controller was able to tap in and basically gain strength from that, from the people in the Escape, and then they tricked the people in the Escape to think they were in a game, but they're actually going out and killing people in the real world. It was uh, it was pretty nasty. So, but uh, but yeah, the controller was 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 tapping into that and being you know becoming super powerful and everything. So it was kind of weird. 
but yeah, he's he's still he's still in the comics today. Oh yeah, okay, good because the controller just seems like one of those villains, and maybe it's because I wasn't reading the right books. I always felt like somebody like was left behind in the seven, like from the Bronze Age, like like the unicorn. Nah, he's always popping <laughs> the unicorn. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's always popping up somewhere. I'm always surprised whenever I see him. I'm like, oh, there, he's still around. You, you think you you think he could have got his face worked on though by now? Yeah, well, it's cranky. it's it's a, you know, it's it's a funny not funny but it's a strange thing because his story is supposed to be that he was burned really really badly in a in a it, uh, yeah and he needs the suit to to kind of move um, yeah. But if you've ever seen anyone, and it's usually a very, very sad thing, but when you if you've ever seen anybody who sustained very bad facial burns, they don't look like that. It's more of a, a smooth, yeah, yeah. harder yeah. looking, you know, almost uh, I think at like one raised point in, flesh kind of thing. And like my early reading, my early comic reading days, I think at one point I was con- I was confused by Thanos and the controller because. Oh, the if chin? You, yeah, because if you glance, if you were just flipping through a book and not really pay, paying attention, you might think that they were the same person. And coloring was screwed up. Exactly, yes. Yeah, because that's, that. that's what I thought when I first met Drax the Destroyer. I thought it was the vision and that it's, his coloring was screwed up. And he just got really muscular. <laughs> Man, the vision's put on some some pounds well not when he back back then he wasn't oh yeah that's true you're right you're right you know when i first the first my first experience with drax was in captain marvel under starlin's run with thanos and i just thought it was the vision and badly badly colored now just just going back to this series a little bit this this run uh anybody anybody but me uh read the scrounger and think that he was designed based on uh, Dustin Hoffman as Ratso Rizzo? Actually, I was thinking that too. From I was uh, thinking... Cowboy? Yeah, Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy. Uh, hmm. I see that now. I was thinking more of like uh, like a Renfield type or, you know, from Dracula or... Uh, Certainly personality-wise, he's that. Yeah. I'm talking about the general appearance, though. I didn't pin that down, but but yeah, I see that now. Yeah. When did that come out? Was that out already? I forgot. Sixty-nine. Oh, really? I thought that was seventies. No, sixty-nine. Best picture. First X-rated best best picture ever. Only X-rated. Only X-rated best picture. And really, probably you know by today's standards, wouldn't would probably only get a soft R. Yeah. Okay. So it is Midnight Cowboy. I always in my head always get that confused probably the midnight between Cowboy and Express. That was about seventy-six, I think. Maybe that's the one with the guy getting caught with drugs. Yeah, and stuck. Okay, yeah, I always get confused, like mixed up of which movie is which when I go. To, I go to say Midnight. You get that mixed something. up with Midnight Run, which is Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro, uh, <laughs> buddy movie on the run. <laughs> not, not quite the same story. So Dustin Hoffman's trying to uh, trying to drive across country, and De Niro's in prison, right? And no, Grodin's in prison. That's it. Now Grodin has actually escaped from prison. He's a uh, oh, what you call it, an embezzler or something like that. But he embezzled from the mob, so the mob's trying to kill him. And uh, De Niro, De Niro is yeah. a, a bounty hunter who's trying to bring him back for his bail bondsman. Very, very, actually, very amusing movie if you if you ever get a chance to see it. But I'm bringing us very far afield here. <laughs> oh, we never do tangents on this show ever, mm-hmm. ever. But yeah, so, no, he does look like Rizzo. Rizzo. 
we we were saying about how the Blood Brothers are creepy. I think the whole killing all the pigs is a pretty creepy thing. <laughs> and they probably killed that driver too. Well, Both you know, of- no, I was wondering that because later on, I don't think so because the driver was driving the truck. Is he still driving the truck though when they get there, or are they driving? How would they know how to drive? They're aliens. They, I mean, they drive they spaceships. They flew to Earth. Well, they no, drive- because well, because when the truck's destroyed, I think they come out of the. Well, it's not really clear, but to me, no. it seemed like they came out of the back of the truck. Like and you don't they, see them in the cab. You just see them running from the truck towards huh. the police. Yeah, it could go either way, really. I mean, honestly, but I mean, they're vampires. They do suck people, suck blood. Why would they just stop at the pigs when they got two more victims? Well, then they actually, though, no, wait yeah. a minute. I I think they say something because uh, he's he's you know, sweet lordy, them hogs. You made their wounds by drinking their. Oh, God, what are you going to do to me? You? You mean nothing to us, human. We want to continue our journey to he who summons us. And for that, we need your conveyance. So the, the way it's written there, they're not going to kill him. They're just going to steal his truck. Yeah, so possibly. Mm. I thought maybe they just coerced him and told him, you know, he had to drive. Uh, honestly, anything's possible since it doesn't really sh- we don't really see him again, so we have no idea. It's yeah. early 70s Uber. And then, it, then on the next page, Paul's where he's using his retractable limp armor type flexible stuff. Yeah, yeah, with that mask coming up over his face, which is yeah, which really Weird. it kind of makes him look like uh, the swordsman. <laughs> then then uh, Tony meets with this guy who's apparently like a new member of his uh, supporting cast, Abe Klein. Abe and if Klein. you look, if you look to the left panel on the uh, left left panel in the middle row. His face almost looks like if you combined Clint Eastwood and Uncle Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny Uncle Eastwood. <laughs> now, these hit pages here. Does this... T- uh, I, so this is George Tusca, but doesn't this look... To me, this looks a bit like Carmen Infantino-ish, especially with Tony Stark's face. The... the uh, Panel to the right of the one I was just talking about. Yes, Infantino-ish. Yes, it does. That one and the panel below, specifically the woman all the way on the right, in like the pink dress. Oh with yes, the blonde hair. Yeah. She definitely looks Infantino-ish, but not everyone does. And yeah. you get this this subplot with uh, what's his name, Michael O'Brien, I think. Yeah, and yeah. At the, he at becomes the, the guardian. And at the top, guardsman. Page 12, yeah. guardsman. It looks like he punched himself in the face with his own fist. I I I know he's thinking, but the way. He- He's just like, wham! Ow! Damn it! And then he, and then he just, hand. I'm unreliable. I got these evil hand issues. Then he just really, really hates that fork or spoon. He just bends that spoon. He was, <laughs> he, was he was watching a lot of Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller. Then. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking too. Oh, there he goes. Rubber spoon, rubber spoon, rubber spoon, rubber spoon. <laughs> But yeah, then they blood brothers. Yeah, that's hard to say. Blood brothers caused some havoc on the Jersey Turnpike. That's a bad shot at the bottom right of that page. Bottom left, excuse me. Oh yeah, he looks very gorilla-ish there. Yes, gorilla. <laughs> yeah, gorilla grottish. Yeah, and very like you can see if you look at that panel, you could see why people might think they're goofy. Yeah, because he yeah, does. If, look if like they drew him like that all the time. Yeah. He does not look, I mean, they're not that bright. We're not going to say they're geniuses, but they look almost sub-intelligent. I'm very amused by the whole thing with the controller being all pissed about them. Like, you idiots. (laughs) Why does Tony have to 
bribe the doorman. Doesn't he like? I mean, it seems That's like how doormen work. I guess, but you know, they're there to help, and they'll go come give you the information. At least the doorman I've seen in movies and TV and comics. But you know, you got to pay them. It, the way the way the Blood Brothers are drawn on the bottom of page sixteen is very inconsistent as to their size because they didn't look you know that much bigger than human sized. No, when they were on. grabbing the guys and slinging them around, now they're huge. But now, yeah, now they yeah, look like no, giants. Eight nine feet tall. Yeah, at least the way he's lifting that car. Yeah, like it's smaller than him. I love how the guy's saying, "Oh Lord, we can't move at their pace." Well, maybe it could if you'd stop. And stop talking while you're running. Maybe, maybe you should turn and look towards <laughs> where you're running. It'll be easier to run fast that way. I'm actually surprised that one guy doesn't, in between his legs, doesn't have a caption too. Like, <laughs> oh, I. Oh. And then the woman, the exit ramp is just ahead. If only they weren't so close, so close. Ah, dead. And then Iron oh Man no, goes. that's right because Iron Man comes in. Whoosh. Saves everybody. Has to reminisce. Yeah. Flashback time. Iron Man 55 and Marvel Feature 12, people. <laughs> I always find it funnier. The more we got to the point where we have comic shops and now even digital things where it's so e- or or even like Marvel Unlimited where it's so easy to find them. And they have less and less of these uh, little flashback yeah. little things saying where to look before when back when then we're like, how how easy was it to find these back issues back then? Probably not that easy. Uh, well, there was, I did have a comic shop that I went to back then. So the, the big thing there was he would take, you know, except for key back issues, he would just write in black marker over the comics code authority, you know, 25 cents or 50 cents or whatever. Oh, so I have a lot of those issues at home. Yeah. But you were shopping in New York city. So to be fair, yes. you pretty much, I mean, you can pretty much find anything in New York City. For a price. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but it's just funny. It's like, wait a minute. Back when you couldn't really find them as easy, that's when they tell you. Now it's like, eh, figure it out your own. But anyway, so, so we so have this. So, Paul, whole... I, I, I hear you doing the line after Iron Man, uh, when, they, when they throw him into a building and he comes and he knocks them, you know, out of the building when he says, you two are going to have a lot more lumps. Oh, a lot of lumps. <laughs> normally blowing into the boys' heads. One or two. Well, help myself. Skip past this Harry Key subplot. Key oh, yeah. What is hey. the, the only good thing is that the, they're maintaining some consistency in the story about talking about the blizzard, because I believe it was a couple blizzard issues before this. 87. Yeah. I actually read that one. Yeah, he fights the blizzard. Of course, we, we got this this man with a receding hairline, private investigator, Humphrey Bogart wannabe. The Art Garfunkel. Yes. <laughs> Art Garfunkel, private Art investigator. <laughs> who runs afoul of Perdegaton. Perdegaton O'Brien. He's an Irishman you'll never remember. So while Iron Man fights the Blood Brothers, it's Perdegaton and Art Garfunkel team up to take him down. <laughs> but they take him down, and actually, you get to the end of this, the Blood Brothers are pretty vicious, this beatdown at the end. It's the, the panel where, where he's got the cement block on him, and he's jumping up and down on it. It almost looks like it's out of Mad Magazine. 
That is true, but I mean, the the I'm thinking about the other the panel above that where they, they're like stomping on his hands. Like I'm surprised, like his hands weren't broken. Yeah, yeah. This is the more flexible armor. Ooh, ooh, ouch. Yeah, it's a pretty. That's a. I thought that was a pretty vicious beatdown. Pound and jump, brother, until our vengeance is complete. Oh, he went through the. Oh, he went through the dock, uh, and we're done. Yep. Next, yeah. Daredevil. Iron Man number eighty nine. Writer and editor is Archie Goodwin. Artist, George Tusca. Inks, Vince Coletta. Colorist, Janice Cohen. Letters, John Costanza. Cover art by Frank Giacoya, Ed Hannigan, and Irv Watanabe. Cover dated August of 1976. On sale date, May 25th, 1976. With a cover price of 25 cents. You can find this one reprinted in Les Invincible Iron Man, number 44, French-Canadian reprint from March of 77, and like the last issue, the Invincible Iron Man DVD-ROM from Volume 1 from January 2007, Essential Daredevil, Volume 6 from 2013, and Marvel Masterworks, the Invincible Iron Man, Volume 11 from 2018. Again, I stole the synopsis from Comic Book DB, so let's see how this goes. Iron Man attempts to escape the water, but fails. On his way to the airport, Daredevil happens by and helps Iron Man out. While the Blood Brothers dig a hole at a destroyed building site, Scrounger feeds Controller. Iron Man uses an electrical line to recharge and convinces Daredevil to help him with the Blood Brothers. Roxanne Gilbert moves out of her apartment, and Detective O'Brien stops Harry Key as he's about to enter Stark International. Instead of arresting him, though, he hires Key and lets him go. Daredevil tracks down the Blood Brothers, he fights one while Iron Man distracts the other. By separating them, they become weaker, and the two heroes are able to defeat them individually. Daredevil then heads to the airport because Iron Man had been delaying his plane for him, and the controller alters his plans. Hey there! Do you like comic books? Do you like superhero TV and movies? Well, come on over and check out the Caves of Lunatics podcast. We have such shows as Capes and Lunatics and Super Connectivity, where we cover everything new and current and popular in the world of superheroes. And we also have episode-by-episode reviews of the Marvel Netflix shows and a monthly discussion of everything current on the DC Comics character Nightwing and a few other surprises all the time. So come join us for the Capes and Lunatics podcast. Exactly. So now Daredevil, because, you know, last time he fought them, he had the help from Drac, the cosmically powered Drax the Destroyer. So, of course, this time he has And before Daredevil. that, he had the thing. Now he, yeah, oh, yeah. Now he has Daredevil. Daredevil. Mm. This is a... I'm just looking at this cover again. First of all, I'm still surprised that it's not Gene Colan. But the, the perspective on it is strange. First of all, again, they're drawn, like, giant-sized. Yeah. But also, like the way Iron Man is standing on the car looks a little strange. The, you know, what is the back Blood Brother standing on at all? Yeah, they uh, look even bigger than that one thing we talked about before in the issue. They look like they're like 12, 15 feet tall here. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's weird. Normally, Iron Man has, I, I'm pretty sure, automatic, like if he goes in the water, he's got like uh, some sort of clear yeah, plastic seals. or whatever that would seal it and 
you know, protect him from the uh, water. Yeah. But here, I believe it did not work because of the beating that they were giving him. Yeah, because his, his repulsors aren't working. The only thing really working is the boot jets, and then they f- fail pretty quickly. But well, they, they work well enough to get him out initially. Did you catch the uh, – there's tears in the gauntlet in his fingers. Do you see him? Yeah, I saw yeah. that. That's a nice little touch. Which yeah. you would think you would think there would be tears in his fingers. Mm. How, how are you tearing mm, through the metal and not hurting the skin underneath it? <laughs> Science! Comic books! Yeah. Bronze Age comic books. But yeah, okay. Back in the water. And then, of course, because this New York Daredevil's hanging around watching everything. Because, you know, everyone's around. Hey, but he's got a flight to catch, man. <laughs> I like that. I, I like to help you stop these people, keep from, these guys who are killing a bunch of people, but I got to get a catch a plane. I got things to do. Black Widow is waiting for me. I, I like Iron Man's deal here. It's like, give me an hour. I can stop that plane. Don't worry. I'm freaking Iron Man. I can stop the plane for you. My employer, Tony Stark, will take care of things. Of course. Wink. Yeah. Wink, wink. Not touch. Of course. Daredevil should said, well, yeah, but can't you just also call Thor? Yeah, really. You are an Avenger. We are in New York City. And I, I hear tell he's pretty powerful. You know, call <laughs> Thor and Captain America and the Vision, you know, you're, you're good to go. It's kind of fun the way they have to do to keep the uh, solo title solo sometimes when mm-hmm. they're all in the same city. Well, Thor was in whatever it was, issue 60-something, so... About a year ago, a year and a half ago. There you go. I mean, at least it makes more sense when they split up. They send them like the West Coast or something, where they're not everyone around. So we get skating Iron Man in this issue. Yes, I haven't seen that in a while. I don't think we've. I remember back when we saw that episode one with the solar powered armor. Avengers number one, yeah. Oh, he has to get that long flight across country. Uh, I'm going to use my solar-powered skates and get there. God, I hope he had some kind of movie in there. What's the in-flight movie, Tony? Iron Man. Oh. My favorite. Then Iron Man 2. Then Iron Man 3. I want to take a nap, so I'll watch Green Lantern. That's what I did on a plane. Oh, look, Green Lantern. Oh, I'm in Tampa. Wow, that was a quick flight. I did that with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies on a flight. It's like number four or five. They do a pretty good job in this of this in this issue of kind of showing that Daredevil cannot physically stand up to these guys, so he's got to get by with speed and and misdirection. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he does he take he he does get them a bit in the beginning, and then he's like, um, oh crap, I'm stuck against the wall, and I don't have room to move now. I'm screwed. And then Iron Man shows up on his skates. Have they ever done an Iron Man Dazzler team up when she had the skates? <laughs> that I don't know. Because that's a missed opportunity if there ever was one. But they actually, yeah, this is when they actually figure out about the whole being close together symbiotic well, thing with the Blood Brothers. But did uh, did Tony know this? Or was it just a happy circumstance? It seems to me like it's something that he figures out as it goes on. Uh, yeah, and he's already fought them twice before, so yeah. If it was there without him know- knowing it, he might have at least. Wouldn't wouldn't the Blood Brothers enough. know this, or are they just never away from each other? Because they're 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 suddenly confused as to why they're getting so weak. It's like you would think they would know, but maybe they've just never been away from each other. 
I think it's because I mean, yeah, they are they are a threat here, but they're still they're not that bright. I mean, they're not supposed to be geniuses. They're not Thanos, and I think it's that they just didn't. They're very easily distracted. So mm. one's chasing one guy one way, and one's chasing the guy the other way. They're not realizing they're not together. And maybe they've never been far apart from right, each other in, in battle. Yeah. Mm. So they wouldn't even realize that their strength was waning. In basically, I mean, if they've been hanging out with Thanos a lot, you're not going to get a lot of repeat battles. You know, they're working for Thanos and doing his killing and stuff. Most of the time, well, people are dead. Yeah. You know, even if somebody figures that out, you know, has figured it out, they're dead by the time of the battle. So there's not a lot of repeat fights for them. So the last panel of this comic, if that's not a Scooby-Doo villain, I don't know what is. Oh, God, yeah, he looks like one of the <laughs> things in the intro of the original Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? We've got the controller to do now. See them hey. running with the Blood Brothers back, you know, in between the hallways with the doors, and then, you know, Scooby's chasing the Blood Brothers, and then Shaggy's running from the controller, and then Delma's chasing, chasing the Blood Brothers, and they're just going back and forth, and they all run into each other, and then run the other way, you know. With the repeating and, backgrounds. Yeah. And then, you know, the controller's trying to throw slave discs on them, control discs to control them, and he ends up, like, sticking on a bunch of mannequins, and, uh, you know, it doesn't work, so... Ah, I, just wrote, I, just, I just wrote my own Scooby-Doo episode. And then, and then he gets one Scrappy-Doo, and they all say, okay, you can have him. Oh, God, Scrappy-Doo. Take him away. We're fine with that. You know what? I gotta say, I liked Scrappy-Doo when he was originally on. I didn't have that big of a problem, but he did start to get annoying after a while. Yeah, but when no. he first came out, he was alright. But then it was just like, oh, my God, just just stop it. Stop never, it. Never did anything for me. I never cared. Even as a little kid, I never cared for the little kid intro characters. I wasn't a big fan of Scrappy-Doo or uh, Wendy and Marvin from Super Friends. Oh, well, now wait a minute. You had Underdog, didn't you? Was it Underdog? No. Under, underdog was not a, tra- a kid no, no, character. No, but what did they call... What was the dog in with Wendy, Marvin? Wonder Dog. Oh, Wonder, Wonder Dog. dog. Wonder Dog, that's right. I always liked it when Scooby teamed up with uh, Dino Mutt and uh, then... Oh, Blue Falcon? He, yeah. Hey, BF. And then uh, when he would actually te- team up with uh, Scooby-Doo would go visit Scooby-Dumb. Dumb? Scooby-Dumb I was fine with. <laughs> he was more fun, but Scrappy-Doo was that annoying. hillbilly stereotype. How dare they? Kind of oh? Scooby-Dumb reminded me of that mouse from... Uh... The country playing mouse from Tom and Jerry. <laughs> you know, Hambone. Yeah. He kept pulling out uh, Tom's whiskers to keep playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of pretty before it gets started, ain't it? Oh, Froggy Money Gordon, he did ride Crambo. Froggy went to Horton, he did ride Crambo. Froggy went to Horton, he did ride a sword and a pin and a revolver by his side. All right. Well, halfway done. So, while editing this episode, I kind of forgot to leave a spot for 
the synopsis for 90 and 91, so we're just going to do both of them together right now. Iron Man number 90. When Calls the Controller. Plot, Archie Goodwin. Script is Jim Shooter. Artist was George Tusca. Inker, Jack Abel. Colorist was Don Warfield. Letters by Irv Watanabe. Editor, Archie Goodwin. Cover art by Jack Kirby, Dan Atkins, and Gaspar Saladino. Cover dated September 1976, with an on-sale date of June 22nd, 1976. Original cover price, 30 cents. You can find this reprinted in Le Invincible Iron Man number 44, which, were, which was a French-Canadian reprint from 1977. The Invincible Iron Man DVD-ROM, Volume 1, from 2007. Marvel Masterworks, The Invincible Iron Man, Volume 11, from 2018. And, of course, digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Iron Man drops the Blood Brothers off at Rikers Island. The Controller breaks free from the loosened rubble and Scrounger follows. Iron Man returns to Stark International to find it on fire, passing Harry Keyes disguised as a security guard. Iron Man helps the firefighters douse the blaze as Keyes is intercepted by Detective O'Brien. Stark repairs his armor and is contacted by the Beast, who confirms that the Controller vanished while Beth while fighting Captain Marvel from the same address that Iron Man and Daredevil fought the Blood Brothers. Iron Man investigates and finds a looted electronics store with evidence of the controller's discs on a victim. He goes to an abandoned warehouse that the controller used to work at and finds the stolen equipment and a truck full of victims under the controller's power. The controller attacks and Iron Man defeats him, but Scrounger is able to begin production on more discs. And now, our finale, Iron Man 91. Writer, editor, Jerry Conway. Artist was George Tusca. Inker, Bob Layton. Colorist, as far as I can tell, is unknown. Letters by Joe Rosen. Cover art by Herb Trimp, Aubrey Bradford, and Dan Crespi. Cover dated October 1976. On sale date was July 27th, 1976, with a cover price of 30 cents. You can find this reprinted in Le Invincible Iron Man number 45 and 46. French-Canadian reprint from 1977. Strange, number 93, which was a French reprint from, I think, about 1978. Luomo Rango, number 210, an Italian reprint. I think it was about 1980. The Invincible Iron Man DVD-ROM, Volume 1, from 2007. Marvel Masterworks, The Invincible Iron Man, Volume 11, from 2018. And, of course, digitally from Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Iron Man brings the controller to the Stark International Factory and dumps him in a vat of their new plastic until a more permanent solution could be found. Meanwhile, Scrounger has several control discs that he had started to work on at the end of last issue, and he's been attacking random people and putting the discs on them. All those new slaves give the controller added strength, and he breaks free. He starts to lay waste to the Stark International plant until Tony is able to don his armor again and attacks. Meanwhile, one of the Blood Brothers is finally able to wear down his prison door at Rikers and escape as well. Iron Man heads to Rikers Island with the controller attacking him every step of the way, and now he has to deal with both villains. Scrounger also shows up with a commandeered bus holding all of the controller's new victims. He has one disc left, meant for the Blood Brother, but Iron Man is able to snatch it away. He puts it on the Blood Brother anyway, and apparently either the symbiotic strength of both, blah, blah, of both Blood Brothers together is too much, 
or they're too distant from each other and uh, the weakness is absorbed? Whatever. The point is, it burns out the controller's exoskeleton, freeing all of his victims. At this point, because there's only two panels left in the issue, the Blood Brother is easily taken out. In the confusion, the controller and Scrounger are gone, and we see them back where they started, with Scrounger taking care of an injured controller. Well, at least this time we know the controller's giant. It's just a symbolic cover this time, at least, with the controller being giant. Yeah. But that is a that's a nice cover, though. I mean, oh, the I Kirby think, one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Iron Man looks pretty uh, formidable. Yeah, I, I think this is the best cover of the four. I have to agree on that one. The only thing about it that's a little negative is the woman's face doesn't look quite right. I, I, I noticed that, though. Sometimes his women are weird. I just did a run, reading of the demon. And um, what? Oh, God, I forget her name now. Marlene. I think it is. Mm. Jason Blood's girlfriend looks weird in every issue I've seen her in. For one thing, she has this like this horrible receding hairline. Like her hair starts like halfway up her head. Mm. It's really bizarre. Well, that's that's not an uncommon Kirby hairstyle. I mean, that's the Sue Storm hairstyle from the 60s that he's got going there. Yeah, but it looks like it starts like further back than Sue's does. Like, Sue's at least seems to stop wherever her forehead starts. This one, like, she's got, like, this woman has, like, a 12 head before her hair starts. <laughs> it's really creepy looking. But, yeah, so we, uh, so we start off jumping ahead where the Rubblers are being put in prison. Well, one of them, because this guy is at Rikers, and the other one is at a Air Force base. McGuire. Yeah, so they're putting him in here so they can gas him. I'm like, why didn't you gas him before you put him in there so you wouldn't have the... They're like, quick, slam the door. It's like they, they threw him in there and like, quick, close the door, close the door before he gets out. Lock it, lock it, lock it. Yeah. And then he leaves and does some, does some more roller skating. <laughs> Wee. <laughs> he even says, my my jet skates are great for emergency transportation. They're even fun for a while. But I better get this tin suit fully operational while I've got the chance. I'm beginning to wonder if it wasn't if I wasn't better off in my old, slightly clumsier, heavier, but much more powerful armor. Yeah, he thinks that a lot in these four issues. Yeah, I think somebody didn't want to keep using this design. Yeah, that's my thought, too. We jump the controller of all his slaves. They they make the slaves, it's really creepy, like the eye They look like they're like the undead, with like one of them actually looks like they're coming out of the ground. With the one hand coming up out of the ground. Yeah, well, I think that he had, they're, they're digging him out. Because uh. it was supposed to be that wherever he was fighting Captain Marvel, a whole building fell on him, and no one ever bothered to check where he was. Yeah. And he'd just been laying there. So he had the one guy here, what, Rizzo, put discs on these people, you know, force these, control these people so he could uh, dig them, dig himself out. Poor Scrounger gets left behind. Once a bridesmaid, never a bride. Wait for me, boss, wait for me! Free, free to begin again, free. I'm free to do what I want. Any old, oh wait, no, he's. And what he wants to do is have a flashback. (laughs) Jeez. Yes, it's time for the flashback. When he was a man named Basil Sandhurst, scientist and victim of a laboratory fire that left him barely alive. You know, if he was, if he was, I mean, yeah, that's. Great, he made himself an exo arm suit so he can move around. And okay, if you're that much of a jerk, I can understand 
I'm going to put, you know, make these this so I can make myself stronger. But maybe make your armor at least able to move you around without them. You know, it's like a backup emergency thing just in case you don't have any of these, you know, controlled slaves to suck the strength out of. Yeah. Like, eh, controller, you know, you, you, you're this is your own fault. You know, one thing I noticed through this whole they talks about with the building falling on and everything. So they've got a flashback little a- a- asterisk for Iron Man 13 with his confrontation with Iron Man, uh, blah, blah, blah. But then we have the next two pages that talk about with Thanos and the Avengers and Captain Marvel. There are no little, there's no, there's nothing. Oh, yeah. No editor's note. No editor's note, but yet we had it for the for the previous stuff, but now we've got this that because that takes place over a couple issues, doesn't it? That's like uh, Captain Marvel. Like I think it's twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah. So no, maybe like, thirty. There's nothing. No, the thirty and thirty one. Thirty, I think. <laughs> Somewhere in there. We'll just accept it's in that range. It's been yeah. a while. I did those like around episode like issue episode like forty something. Where this is episode one oh. Four, I think it's going to be. Mm. It's been a little while. Yeah, no, I got you. We got you back, Al. Don't worry. <laughs> this but one guy at the, at the bottom of the flashback in the middle. It's kind of <laughs> scary looking, dude. Oh, with the teeth? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have top or bottom teeth. I just have huge big white things in my mouth. Like, wasn't there a character called the gopher or something? <laughs> Squirrel boy. Squirrel Girl's cousin. I was going to go with the White Rabbit's boyfriend. <laughs> no, the White Rabbit doesn't have a boyfriend. Shag and I would differ with you on that. Well, which White Rabbit are we talking about? The Marvel or the DC one? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the Marvel one. Okay. The well, one see, there the, you go. Uh, the yeah, one you get the, Spider-Man? the funny outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you get that. You can have that one. He has the DC one. Everyone's oh, happy. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Oh, so this is a picture of Bill. What? <laughs> That's right. I'm the suave guy up there with the uh, the red turtleneck with the green jacket on. Yeah, yeah he's, he, he looks awful suave, Bill. <laughs> he's better than the guy below him and the other guy with the big pointy nose. It's setting the bar kind of low. Yeah, the guy with the turtleneck looks like Gar- Gar- Gardner's dumb cousin. <laughs> it's like the guy played with him as a baby and accidentally, accidentally dropped him a few times. <laughs> Poor controller, trapped underneath there. With Ratto Rizzo. Yeah, but I do have to say that that's a nice shot of the Blood Brothers. They look, they don't look comical. Um, when you know he says, "Oh, he summons us, Blood Brother, and we must go to free him." Well, with the exception of the Beast, who looks terrible in this. Oh, uh, I, I think yeah, that uh, I think the inking is pretty good. Otherwise, in this issue, compared to the Vince Coletta inking we got in the list too. Wait, the Beast. The beast? Look- yeah, the beast. Page sixteen. Where? <laughs> You're probably wondering who that was. Man, my stupid thing isn't working too well. No. Yeah, that's the beast, but I don't know if that's like the um, Godzilla movie version of the beast. He looks like he's. Yeah, I, I don't know who it is. He looks like that flat. Oh, I can't remember the Luke Jack and Eddie would know the the one that fought Gamera with the was it Gauss with the with the flat head. That shot the beams out of his mouth. I'll I, still stick with Luke checking that he would know. Oh I'm yeah, tell- the beast. You're right. I'm I talking about that part. Gauss. But he that looks fought, terrible. Other than that, he looks. That I fought think the Gamera. That's looks it. good. I I don't remember that one. Tony so Stark looks great. The beast looks like crap. Yeah. 
that's right when he calls him. I was still on a few pages earlier with the brother saying he comes to he calls us, and I'm looking on that page. I'm like, where the hell's the beast? Uh, oh yeah, it's a few pages further. But you're right. Yeah, after he deals with the fire. I think I think the beast got a new haircut, and even Tony can't look at him. That's why he's not even looking at the screen. Thanks. I'll tell Iron Man. Ooh man, what happened to him? This is why I'm not calling the Avengers. Did did you uh, did you mutate again, buddy? What happened? <laughs> no wonder I'm okay. No wonder I'm accepting help from Daredevil. I'm a little surprised here that he's just repairing. You know, he's doing like a spot repair on his armor. I would have thought he would have several models available, is especially it? since he said he just upgraded it to go a little bit more with, I guess, flexibility and being able to be hidden instead of. You know, and, and reduce the strength a little bit because of that. You would think he'd have the one, the model before, and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm fighting against some heavy duty people here. Let me put this one on." Well, I mean, you read more of this era of Iron Man than I have. Is did he do that back then, or was that more of a more like less? And when I say recent, let's say like sort of thirty years ago or so, recent no. thing where he would have like the older models. I thought like the older ones kind of back in the day just kind of vanished. No, no I, he still had them, but he it, it wasn't as focused on as it is. It more, wasn't you know, as in the more recent time, like it is now, the where he's always you know, or he change or he changes some like people change underwear. I think there was an an issue in the early 100s where he has to put on his uh, like his Mark One or Mark Two armor for oh, some okay. reason. Yeah, I like the one. Uh, Stark finds a circular mark on his forehead. Reminds me of when I was a kid, and like you'd stick a suction cuff on, on, on your forehead, and then you pull it off, and you might end up with a little bruise on there. So you're walking around with a big circle on your head for like a day or so. I guess I'm the only one that did that, so I'll just pretend I never said that. I generally didn't find myself putting suction cups on my head, but you know, hey, to each their own. I wasn't allowed to use suction cups. <laughs> 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 my, my family banned suction cups. I was only allowed to play with razor blades. <laughs> razor blades razor and bags, bl- bags of glass. And lawn darts. I had lawn darts. I, I had I, lawn darts. I'd explain to my son what they were. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, seriously. That's We, we had big giant darts about the size of they were like a foot long. They had a metal tip, plastic back, and you'd fling them up in the air. And well, you try to get them down. You did not care. Well, you would try to throw them into the ring, but we would just take them and throw them straight up the air and then run. Yeah, that's brilliant. (laughs) I didn't have. It's amazing I'm alive today. But I could see me and my friends doing that when I was when I was a kid. If we had them, we would have done that. Oh God, we used to take Roman candles and light them and shoot them at each other. I mean, it's amazing I'm not missing a digit, a foot, a hand, an eye. That Saturday Night Live skit wasn't too far off with bag of glass. Five for your kids. Bag of glass. Human torch costume. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you need her matches. So, anyway. So, Iron Man finds all the the slaves in the truck, and it looks like he's got uh, the one guy with a mustache is like the Iron Sheik. Um, then he's got like yeah. Sutherland. Oh, as yeah. <laughs> it looks kind of also the, the one guy almost looks like a Caucasian skinned Adam Warlock. Yes. <laughs> he even looks like he's wearing the costume. But, exactly. uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a poor, Is, that's 
another poorly inked page, I have to say. Is that a soul gem in your head? Oh, wait, it's a controller disc. Never mind. Uh, you're not Warlock. You're no help. And then boom. Boom, the shaka laka laka. Sucker punch. Sandhurst. There he is. Ah. As ugly as ever. <laughs> That's exactly what Iron Man says. And there he is. Ah. That is a kind of creepy panel of him, like, in the light, like, I mean, if they did him in a movie, they can almost make him like a horror type thing. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, if they want to do something different with a movie, instead of making it a traditional superhero, they can use the controller and make it like a creepy, suspenseful horror thing. They can make him like uh, Gary Oldman was in the Hannibal movie. The guy with no lips, no eyes. Ooh. Well, maybe, that would be, maybe that would be a little too far. But push, push the red button, the big shiny red button. Yeah, well, which button do I push? The big red one. And start spitting out them discs. And now we end up with the we end up with the uh, cliffhanger everyone's excited for. Ratso Rizzo with a controller disc. Yeah, <laughs> control is defeated, but his little uh, rodent-like minion is is on the loose. No, you know who he is. That's all I was trying to remember. Going with cartoons again. Hey, Bug Bugsy's my pal because he's big and strong. Yeah, hey, a little bit, hey. a little bit of that. Yeah. Hey, Spike, the the little dog and a big dog. Hey, Spike. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spike. Yeah, yeah. Smack. Yeah. I mean, even coloring is kind of right. I mean, yeah, it's a blue kind of armor, but it's kind of blue grayish, so kind of works. The controller was Spike, and this guy is the other one. It's a little dog. Yep. All right, so now we get to the last one. Now we're getting some nice. Uh, I I think, in my opinion, a little bit better inks than we've seen. Oh, we're getting Bob Layton for his first first ever Iron Man uh, story. Is it his first Iron Man? Yeah. yeah. Uh. I didn't realize he started off this early. I mean, I don't wow. think he came into prominence until after issue 100. I I don't know exactly where, but I know I I always think of those that one that one cover with the Hulk on it with like the machinery. Uh, like like one thirty something, one fifteen maybe. I think, I, think you, I think you're thinking of one thirty one. Could be, might be a rabbit, might be. But uh, yeah, I mean, sometime after issue one hundred, I don't know how far in we got at that point, but I don't think it was too far. Um, I'm trying to look now. I I don't remember like these issues with Frankenstein's monster. I don't remember if he was involved in that, and that's that's like 101. Let me see if I can... All right, so other than this, I'm only seeing uh, 116 was like his next outing with... Uh, well, you know what? Why don't I just search Bob Layton, dummy? There you go. Uh, which way did it go? Which way did it go? Yeah, so Iron Man, wow, this was only like his, according to Mike's Amazing World, Iron Man 91 was only his second, um, his first Marvel outing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Claw the Unconquered, number nine, was his first published with DC. And then he like was bouncing between DC and Marvel. Because after Iron Man, the next things, two things he does for um, Marvel is Champions 9 and 11. And then, like, another uh, Champions 12. He did Hercules Unbound in between some of the champions. And Secret Society, Superman Family, Secret Society again. Hercules Sizzle. Unbound. 
That's the uh, DC Hercules in the Future type story, right? Yeah. Series? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, kind of like in the... I think that's in the Commandy era. I think Tom T- Tom Harris was c- covering that on uh, Radio Free Asgard. I think I have an issue with that. Yeah. And so, yeah, all oh, that he was like, he was on a big stint with, uh, with DC for about a year or so or more. And then he came back to Marvel, did a Ghost Rider, a Hulk annual, some John Carter... And then he was pretty much on Iron Man from that point forward a lot. Yeah. Wow. I just didn't realize he started. I mean, I knew he was did a lot of stuff in the 80s because I know he did the Hercules miniseries and stuff. That Hercules graphic novel is I love that one. That's like one of the earliest things I had. I love that graphic novel. So he was pretty much exclusive Marvel from 1978 to like 19. 98 with a few exceptions like a Treasury Edition and a house of mystery a couple like just onesie twosies for almost 20 years he was at marvel wow. before he went before he went back to dc okay so i must be mixing him up i thought bob layton was also like editor and chief an editor editor in chief of valiant well there are there are a lot of things here for valiant so you may be correct with that I, i'm sorry i should have thrown valiant in there because he does like in 1990 he's at valiant until and then he jumped into some stuff at Image, but that was Image yeah. and Valiant. Yeah, so I take it back. So he, from 90 on, he was pretty much at Valiant and Image. And then from 70, uh, 78 to 90, he was at Marvel, pretty much. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because I know John Wilson's doing, on his All, All the Pouches show about Image, he's mm. covering, a, just finished up, or just finishing up Deathmate. And he's talking about the story about how Bob Layton supposedly went to Liefeld's house or whatever studio and like sat there to make him work on the issues. <laughs> it's like, no, no, these are late and they're coming out now. Get to work. So like the last thing that shows that he did was in 2013, which was the Iron Man 258.1, 2, 3, and 4 series, which I got. It, was, it takes place in between the 258 and the 259 issue. Which I read that. It was a pretty quick read. It was pretty reminiscent of the time, but um, but it was kind of forgettable because <laughs> I really don't remember and I need to go back and read it again. So he's going to so put him in. He's one of the few uh, anchors, though, that I don't mind that he imposes his own style over other people's just because I like his style more than other people's. Right. In this particular issue, I don't think he quite had the, you know, the career path yet that he could Im- do yeah. that. You can oh, really see it in Iron Man's eyes, like the way his mask looks. You can oh, see that. Yeah, like the first style. page. Yeah. Yeah, it, you can see there's a difference between that and like the ones before it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that first page, I'm very amused. I, I like, this is almost like a comedy skit with like him flying with the controller yelling and screaming. <laughs> like and first of all, it's like okay, control. You're not that bright because a. Do you really want him to drop you from that high up? I mean, look how tiny that barge is. <laughs> you're pretty high up. Second, I just had to look it up because he cl- says, "Yeah, release me, you iron-skinned callet." I, I looked it up it was, also. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was an insult. Definition of callet: a close-fitting cap without visor or brim. Also, a woman's or child's cap of this basic design. So he called him yeah. a hat. <laughs> You I wonder if that was supposed to be galoot, and it's misspelled. That should that be a G? 
galoot. Would he, would he really call somebody a galoot? Well, it makes more, somebody a callet. It makes more reason. sense to call him a callet. It's well, either either way. That's kind of dumb. It kind of fits with my theory that apparently for me, this the controller is not as bright as he thinks he is. He's a scientist. Yeah. Batman's a scientist. Is he like that guy that you know would throw out a word and not really use it properly? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Somebody like me. <laughs> I think he's a smart guy, but I think he thinks he's smarter than he thinks he is. Yeah, maybe. I, I like the you know the plot he comes up with. He's going to drop him into molten plastic yeah. to, to hold him captive. Well, wait. Let me put this fishbowl on your head. <laughs> You're fine. With no actual supply of air going to it. <laughs> no, no, no. If you look further on, he's got a backpack on. It goes okay. to the back of that helmet after he's dumped him in the plastic. You see it like in the next panel down. Oh yeah, okay. But still, I'm like, whatever. That'll last like an hour. Yeah, it's a controller. Who cares? Dumps him in the plastic. I like that. <laughs> Dump in the molten hot plastic. There you go. You're good. Nothing could go wrong, right? No. And now Layton's got like this, uh, or wait a minute. No. Well, it's not Layton because he's not the. George, George Tuska's got this uh, uh, this He-Man transformation Shazam. I have the power. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the bit of like Captain Marvel. Like, what the heck is that? Hands over his head. <laughs> Energy flying out. I'm good. Armor's depolarized. All set. Now put on my suit and I'm all good to go. And come out and see my secretary see my new secretary who's giving me like, you know, hello eyes in that third who, panel of hers. Who eventually turns out to be Madame Mask, I believe. Oh really? Hmm. I'm now more interested in her. I think she goes by Chrissy Longfellow, then she becomes Whitney something or other. With Whitney, oh, Whitney Frost. Frost. Whitney Frost, and then I pretty I'm pretty sure it's the same. Wait, wait character. a minute. I thought Madame Mask was uh Count Nefarious daughter. Yep. yep she, oh, okay. she had a different name, but she did go by Whitney Frost a lot. Oh, okay. All right. Well she when she was born, they didn't name her Madame Mask. Shockingly. Well, well, maybe she'd be like Whitney Nefaria. Anyway, I'm assuming. The, I was just impressed I pulled that out of my butt. <laughs> Actually, looking at her though, she reminds me a lot of. And of course, it's been a while since I read anything with her. But uh, what was Spider Man's girlfriend? The one who turned out to be an alien or something? An alien? Uh, Deborah. Deborah Whitman. Oh, she was an alien. She was just crazy. <laughs> I thought I read somewhere that like turned out she was an alien princess or something. Just didn't mm. know it. Not that I know of, but maybe that happened after I stopped reading at some point. I thought she was just bad crazy. I don't remember, but uh, <laughs> just for some reason, it reminded me a lot of her. I don't know why. Sorry, so, I had jumped ahead and looking at the vat of plastic and the guy running. Oh, good Lord, <laughs> run off you. Plastic's going to get all over us. Oh, my God, there's going to be plastic everywhere. And then he turns into General Zod. Free, free, free. Shaboom. Okay, I did a quick shaboom. look. I did a quick look on Wikipedia. You're right. She's not an alien. I, I'm remembering. It's like the Atlantis Attacks Annual, or one of those annuals in the 90s where they would like fill the back page with like, you know, top 10 villains or top 10 supporting cast members. And there was one someone that Spider-Man dated that turned out to be an alien. I guess I'm mixing her up with Deborah. Mm. But you're right. It's not. Okay, just have to jump in here before we go back to the conversation. That whole thing about Deborah Whitman was bothering me. Because I couldn't remember where I found that. So I did some looking. 
and I was able to find it. It's from Spectacular Spider-Man Annual Number 9, The 25 Most Important Women in My Life. The whole thing, obviously, is from Spider-Man's perspective. And he lists this one that I was remembering at number 23. Marcy Kane, a biophysics major at Empire State University during the same period I was. Marcy seemed a bit of an enigma. Sometime later, I found out from her old beau, Jack of Hearts, that she was actually a sun priestess from the world of Contraxia. Gee, no wonder Marcy always treated Peter Parker like an alien. But um, bum So, that's what I was thinking of. Marcy Kane. Alright, back to our regularly recorded podcast. Anyway, back to Shaboom Shaboom. And so, so the controller escapes. And Tony's gotta get over there. Oh, no. wait. He's gotta go to the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> Chrissy, if you'll excuse me, there's something I've got to do. Well, don't broadcast it, Tony. Well, I'll have to go sometime. <laughs> and there's a men's room right there. Uh, but wait, before that, can we go back to uh, Rizzo doing his little jumping up and down happy uh, dance? That's so weird oh, looking. God, that's just... That looks like the Rankin and Bass Bilbo Baggins. Oh, God. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. In the middle of the earth, in the land of Shire, lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire. With his long wooden pipe, fuzzy woolly toes, he lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. This just looks weird. Really weird. He's got like no pupils. He's just got hollow doll eyes. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to think that I think your theory about him being based on Hoffman is right because like there's something about him that's so different from everyone else. The way he's drawn. Mm-hmm. And that would make sense if they're trying to draw specifically based on somebody as opposed to just you know model the characters. Looks like he put a uh, controller disc on He Man. <laughs> yeah, or a chorus from the Eternals. It's like they had to scramble and get a whole bunch of faces drawn from this page because like you need a whole bunch of backroom characters. Yeah. So when the controller comes out of the building, there's a giant cromp Crump. sound. Cromp. Okay. I've quite heard the cromp in real life, but I'll but I'll play your game. And then we get the choom and the crump. <laughs> Now, this one's great with the uh, sound effects. Rip. Broom. Nothing quite like onomatopoeia. Chawoomp. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the with the giant... Uh, what the hell is that? Their gun? No. Sl- thermal shocker. As a shield class A missile interceptor. Uh, no, the Chawoomp is when uh, Iron Man flies in and knocks him over. Oh, the yeah. Chawoomp. The, the the full page spread. That's like Chumbawamba. I get knocked down, but I knocked down the controller again. He's never going to get him. No, sorry. But yeah, Missing a lot of the night away. And then I like how like we're getting like near the end of this issue. Like there's a few pages left left, and also they're like, and let's throw the brothers brothers back in here too. That's right. You forgot about them. Which? What's the reason that they're suddenly back? Because he put out the telekinetic call for them. But that, but they're still not closer. They shouldn't be suddenly stronger. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, 
Well, the sleeping gas. Well, the sleep. Well, the one guard as he's being punched in the face, mind you, with a fist that just went through a metal door. So I think this man is going to have oh either be a matted piece of pulp, or at the minimum a concussion or a jaw that doesn't work. I'm going to think possibly good. Yeah, he's this idiot. You know who's in there? We got to call the warden. The sleep gas must have worn off, and that door is gonna. Zarak, which is the sound of metal being smashed, smashed through. Of course, everyone knows that. Yeah, and it says we'll leave Bronkowski. <laughs> oh wait, I thought. Well, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Gronk, Gronkowski from the Patriots. <laughs> Bronkowski's reaction to your to your imagination, as we said, this side trip, though important, was going to be brief. So yeah, this guy's dead. Yeah, this is Duffy. Duffy's the one without the mustache. Goodbye, <laughs> Bronkowski is the one who's the oh idiot. the one that, yeah yeah. And speaking of idiots, he flies the control back to the controllers, being flown up into the air. He's holding on to Iron Man's leg, like a dog, like a dog humping his leg. <laughs> <laughs> Would you get off? I have had enough of you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to assume, even though we just see Iron Man's. Thought balloons that the controller is probably ranting and raving the entire time. <laughs> Yelling and screaming. Because he seems to be that kind of monologuing villain. Mm-hmm. No. No, he's just just crazy. He looks yeah. like he's drawn as if he's screaming something, but that they just... He always looks like he's balloons. screaming. It's like he's in constant pain. Yeah. Ah. I bet his face doesn't even move. It, it just comes out like a speaker. His mouth just stays in one position. Oh, he's like is... he's like Captain Pike, but instead of beeps, he's just you know he has, he has like a little speaker in his mouth. Just scream and just that at eleven always. <laughs> we got a uh, we got Rizzo on the bus with the really freaky looking zombie guard driving the bus. Which Rizzo on the bus is a thing in Midnight Cowboy. You know his yeah. hat look his hat. On the guard, that looks like a rangefinder. That was like the same symbol I had on my uh, on my rating badge. Being a fire controlman, we had a rangefinder that looked just like that with a lightning bolt on each side. Ah, and I'm not even sure this guy's a guard. I think he's just a bus driver. Oh, oh, you know what that is? Transit authority. It's a T and an A. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep, that's what it is. But it does look like a rangefinder as well. It's the same symbol we had. So you could have impersonated Transit Authority if you wanted to. <laughs> nah, not really. <laughs> Where I come from, TNA stands for something different. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a family show, buddy. Let's keep, let's keep it clean. Keep the mouse in the house. <laughs> I was going to say that. So first, I think you know, the first use of some latent Zipatone on the, on the driver's face. Oh, yeah. Oh, the bus driver? Yeah. Yeah. But now, would that have been the colorist job, or would that have been... No, that would have been Layton's, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be the anchor. Yeah. Yeah, he'd be, yeah, he gets good with that Zipatone. It's like his first playing around with it right there on that face. It's like a whole bunch all over. Like, look at that chin. Yeah. But it looks good. It's shaded. It, does, it really puts it in shadow. While still being, you know, conveying the detail of the character. The mindless character. <laughs> yeah. 
So Iron Man defeats him by putting it on a blood brother, which doesn't, I don't really quite. Uh, I'm whatever. a little confused science. by that, too. Yeah, no, that's, that's really bad scientists somehow because the blood brothers are separated and yeah, it all causes them to overload. It doesn't really make sense. But how does it cause him to overload? I mean, he said before he had like, it was 20, when he was working with Thanos, he had like 20 by 20. People, not just one person's strength, made one person's strength. Like every person, made, like it was made, exponential. Yeah, yeah, by twenty. So like, so why would a blood brother? Wouldn't that just make him more powerful? Yeah, you would think. But yeah, let's go with science. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and the controller gets his just desserts. This is almost like one of those things where, like, oh crap, we're at the last page. <laughs> yeah, quick! Ah, yeah. we'll put him oh, back. Yeah. How, on could the he, how could he beat him? He overloads him. Let's go. Because I mean, <laughs> this happens pretty him. quickly, and there's a lot of panels here. There's like nine panels on this page. <laughs> but I do like where the controller ends up back again, being spoon fed by Rizzo. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, yeah, the the uh, the scrounger. Desperately wants him to be his friend. Meanwhile, he's thinking, if I ever get strong enough, I can just gonna tear you apart. Snap kill your you. neck. I gotta look up real quick. I gotta see if the scrounger come back. Mm. Or do we just assume the controller finally got strong enough and just killed him? <laughs> I think he killed him. Here we go. Here we go. 91. Well, yeah, I'm looking under Iron Man Volume 1 Marvel Database to see if it says anything about the character of the scrounger. Yeah, but I'm looking at comic book DB. He's not listed at least for 91. He's not listed as a character. He is listed as a character on Marvel database. I'm looking right here. Oh, there you go. Uh, first Powers appearance. and abilities. The scrounger was weak-willed. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, doesn't look like he appeared after Iron Man 91. No, no. Four appearances of the scrounger. That's it. All right, so he's dead. The controller controlled him without his slave discs. That's how weak-willed he was. But he didn't get any power off of him. And that's the end of the Blood Butlers and the controller for now, until, well, the next time. Yeah, exactly. But it's the end of the scrounger. Yes. Moment of silence, please. <laughs> I'm just looking at the the uh, you know the Marvel database entry for him. Uh, you know, was it real name Scrounger? Affiliation controller. Base of operations New York City. Identity secret, secret. identity. Occupation Scrounger. <laughs> <laughs> Occupation Shropshire Slasher. Yeah, that's name, what I'm Shropshire Slasher. <laughs> I say, my good man. He's the Scrounger. He scrounges. <laughs> Unreal. The feedback this time is for episode 110, Death and Rebirth in the Marvel Universe, which I did with Grant Richter from the Sentinel of Liberty Captain America podcast. On Facebook, the post about that episode was liked and shared by GeekPod, Andy Handova, Jesse Starcher, Julie Warren, Chris Armstrong, Pat Sampson, Chris Matthews, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames, Jason Venable, Alex Stram. Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Paul Spitaro, Clinton Robinson, Tim Price, Gene Hendricks, Hal Jordan, Derek William Crabb, Mark Radulich, and Justin Koble. Also had some comments on Facebook. GeekPod said, very interesting episode, love the theory crafting. And Jonathan Schaefer-Hames said, 
my Alexa responds to computer. So I just got to say, computer, play Resurrections podcast, and there you guys were. And I love how easy it is just to get to us. So yeah, go hook up your Alexas to us. That'd be awesome. Now on Twitter, the post about the episode was liked and retweeted by Nexus of All, Adeline Rising, David Finn, Frank Gobel, Viet Huynh, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Doc Strange, Into the Weird, Into the Night, Connor McKenna, Last Sons of Krypton, Ghostwriter Podcast, Jason Snick Venable, Tim Price, The Podcrasher, Superheroes and Space Wizards, KSC GSF Podcast, that stands for King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, Action Girl Scotty JX, The Brand Son, that's a long name, <laughs> Shannon Stamey, Longbox Review, Only the Lonely, The Legion of Substitute Podcasters, and Planet 8 Podcast. It also wouldn't be feedback without thanking a few more people who follow us on Tumblr, and also this time being able to thank all five of these people for having Tumblr names I can actually pronounce. So a big thank you to RandomFan93, Papa Smurf Fan, Etre Different, Northstar13904, and Mr. Breezy01. So if you want to contact us, there are a bunch of ways, and they're all very easy. You can send us an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Go on Facebook, send us a comment on there, or like and share our posts. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos on the Facebook search box and we'll pop up. On Twitter, we are at AdamThanosPod. Come talk to us. Our Tumblr page is, of course, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. You can always leave an iTunes review. I will never have a problem with... I will never have a problem with a good iTunes review. And bad iTunes review... Well, we are under a different name. Go under um, all the pouches. There you go. (laughs) Sorry, John. And, of course, this show is part of The Collective. So, The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances. So if you're liking this show, might not check out some of them. Uh, If you're looking for the list of the shows, just go to Twitter and go to hashtag TheCollectiveNet. If you're not on Twitter, you can go to our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. And just type in The Collective in the search box on our page, and posts about The Collective will pop up. We'll get back to Bill and Paul in a minute, but right now we are going to talk about another comic that came out around the same time as these Iron Man issues. Fantastic Four 172, cover dated July of 1976. But I am not alone. With me is Herman Lowe from such shows as Long Box of Darkness and Into the Weird. Hey, Herman, what's up? Hey, Al. So glad that you asked me to be on this show. It's been a dream of mine ever since I first, uh, you know, discovered the Warlock and Thanos podcast. So, so no. uh, it all comes down to just me saying thanks for having me on, Al. I really appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you for being on. <laughs> Great. So, like we said, like I said, this is Fantastic Four 172. Here it is. Fantastic Four number 172, Cry the Bedeviled Planet. Plot Roy Thomas. Script was by Bill Mantlo. Pencils, George Perez. Inks, Joe Sinnott. The colorist was Petra Goldberg. Letters by Joe Rosen. Editor, Roy Thomas. Cover art by Jack Kirby and Joe Sinnott. Cover dated July 1976. 
on sale date April 27th, 1976. Original cover price, 25 cents. You can find this reprinted, among other places I'm sure, Fantastic Four, a French-Canadian reprint, number 61, from 1976. I Fantasti Quattro, an Italian reprint, number 187. Atlantic Siren, I think. <laughs> a Swedish reprint, number 8, from 1978. Die Fantaxion Vier, number 6. It was a German reprint from 1982. Nova, number 72, a French reprint from 1984. Essential Fantastic Four, Volume 8, from 2010, and, of course, digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Okay, so, last issue, there was a golden gorilla who came to New York via spaceship and ran amok until captured by the Fantastic Four. If you want more about that last issue, go to Fantastic Ass episode number 227. Now, we start off with the FF surprise that their captive can speak. He apologizes for what he did last issue blaming his actions on the effect our atmosphere had on him. But he has control over his faculties again, and he's here to ask for their help. The FF are very skeptical, so Gore, which is his name, breaks out and attacks, causing the Fantastic Four to follow him as he flees back to his ship, and then takes off with its team still trapped inside. Once they are in space, he tells them that he is one of the new men, created by the High Evolutionary on Counter-Earth, and also explains what Counter-Earth is. He tells them how Adam Warlock saved Counter-Earth from the Man-Beast, which is the only reason we're talking about this issue. But after Warlock left for the stars, a new menace came. The Destroyer, the Herald of Galactus. So the High Evolutionary sent Gore to Earth to find the only ones who have successfully repelled the Planet Eater, the Fantastic Four. They finally agree to help, and as they get closer to Counter-Earth, the Thing heads out to an asteroid around the planet to take on the Destroyer. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter as the Destroyer had already fulfilled his purpose, and Galactus has arrived. And if you want a better synopsis and talk about this issue, go check out Fantasticast number 230. Okay, so let's get it out of the way real quick. Adam Warlock. He's in what, one panel? <laughs> yeah, on one page, maybe just one panel, one or two. Well, actually, he gets, like a half, he gets half a page. Yeah, we very the, abbreviated uh, recap. Yeah. yeah, showing the scene from Marvel Premier One where the High Evolutionary creates Counter-Earth because Gore is explaining the origin of who he is to the Fantastic Four because they have no clue about Counter-Earth. And so we see, of course, Adam Warlock was there and then Adam Warlock showed up and saved the world from the Man-Beast. That's right. And that's it. It's the only Adam Warlock appearance. Yeah, it's actually a, a bit of an affront to Adam because, I mean, he's so visually distinctive. I, I th I'd have thought George Perez would have lobbied to draw some more of him, you know, uh, with Roy and uh, with Bill scripting. But, you know, it is what it is. I, I haven't seen a lot of George Perez drawing Adam Warlock, but what I've seen, I like. Yeah, mainly it's going to be like Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, that's it. But otherwise, now we got that part of the way. So Fantastic Four meets the Golden Gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> that's as good a title as any but you know that didn't stop Roy or Bill because they say Roy edited it right or plotted it and Bill scripted it to come up with a pretty arresting uh, title for the story as well right I'll cry the bedeviled planet <laughs> well, very dramatic Yeah, I'm going to assume I have not checked it yet myself but I am going to assume this came out after the 1976 version of King Kong oh yeah oh yeah, good point. I or, forgot King Kong was in 76. This might have, might have, you know, been the reason behind them 
putting a gorilla in, right? I mean, Ben refers to King Kong constantly during this issue. Yeah, and the issue before, he the gorilla is giant and he's fighting it. Yeah. And it's climbing yeah, a planet yeah. with, it's sorry, a planet. It's climbing a, a skyscraper <laughs> with skyscraper. Sue in its hand. <laughs> Perfect visual, you know, homage to King Kong. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, even if it's not before the movie came out, the posters were out already because, well, let's face it, it's not like they needed to know the plot. It's King Kong. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's in the American zeitgeist since the 1930s, right? So, or or the late 1920s. So, you know, um, you you don't get rid of uh, the image of a giant gorilla assaulting your, you know, city uh, very quickly, even if it hasn't been on screen for like 40 odd years, right? So, (laughs) it still stayed. But yeah. this is a fun little crazy story. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, a little bit, of, you know, bringing in the high revolutionary encounter Earth and George Perez pencils. I and mean, like you said, George Perez pencils are always good. I mean, I've always yeah, loved the way he draws apes and gorillas. I mean, going back to his early 1980s tenure on the Titans, where he drew Monsieur Mala mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Beast Boy constantly morphing into to uh, gorillas and, and apes and baboons and stuff like that. I think George Perez, once you have animal shapes down, that means you're a good artist. If you can draw horses, monkeys, and dragons well, I think you've, you've, you've made it. You've, you're at the height of your powers. <laughs> so, yeah, The one thing I really loved, it's page two. The way he does the flashback, incorporating oh, yeah. Ben Grimm's head into the panel. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a great way. Of, of of quickly recapping the events of the last issue. I mean, it's like it's it's sort of coming out of Ben's mind, like out of his head, out of his thoughts. Exactly. It's like uh, the last, the second, the back half of his head is the, actually the panel. Yeah. And the panel like curves and becomes like the thing, he, the thing's, you know, rocky head. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is brilliant. You're right. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a panel quite like this before where a character's head who's delivering the exposition that tells you what happened is actually also the panel. Or the panels that bleed out of his skull, so to speak. And, mm-hmm. you know, he does that again later on in issue two, right, Al? I think, I don't know what page it is, but it's in the middle of the comic where Gore sort of recaps what happened, his origin story, how the High Evolutionary evolved him into this sentient, uh, talking uh, golden gorilla. There's a part where Gore's face is right in the middle of the page. Oh, yeah, and Sorry, the panels I'm, I'm, are all around him. Yeah. Sorry, I'm reading through the masterworks here, so I, I don't have the actual page numbers of the original comic. Uh, and then, you know, 16 and 17. OK, page 16 and 17. That's a, a huge double page splash. Right. So um, you've got Reed and Sue on the, the left looking at Gore in the middle speaking. And then you've got Johnny and Ben on, on the right. And then there's just a number of very tight but very intricately penciled panels um, describing his origin and I thought that was very effective as well so it sort of focuses your attention on Gore in the center delivering the description of how he came to be it's great so yeah. brilliant George Perez art it also does point out a little bit at least to me looking at just his face now he's an intelligent super intel- he's an in- I don't know about super intelligent but he's an intelligent evolved gorilla all right so he's wearing clothes of some type I can get with that I don't think he needs the mask <laughs> there's no reason for the mask. I don't Absolutely think there's a no secret reason. identity that he's hiding. <laughs> Unless he's been doing some super heroics on Counter Earth that we don't know about. I would agree with you, Al. There's no need. I mean, there's even no need for clothes. He's been running around naked in the Fantastic Four headquarters for 
what, five or six pages before he dons clothing. So the only reason he probably wears clothes is to show that he's an evolved or a higher higher being. But um, why be modest? You know, they've already seen this huge, huge ape schlong <laughs> dangling in the FF headquarters. Well, maybe that's why maybe that's why he's wearing the co- the mask, too. It's uh, kind of like a Supergirl first coming to Earth in the Silver Age when they make her a costume. Says, I'll make you a costume just like his. So, you know, he knows you're a Krypton girl. You know, it's like, you're, Master, why do I have to wear this mask? Because these are superheroes. They, they need, trust me. They they're not going to get a talking gorilla, but a talking gorilla in a costume. That, <laughs> Everything will start to make sense. <laughs> that'll make sense to them. They'll be down with that. Trust me, man. The high evolutionary has really got the human, you know, psychological responses down, huh? <laughs> and yet, for some reason, he still has a handle on his head. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, why? It looks like a tea kettle to me. <laughs> like you're gonna, you you know, pour some tea out of his mouth any second with this. <laughs> That's what he always reminded me of. But hey, don't get me wrong. I love Wyndham. I love the High Evolutionary. He's always been one of my uh, go-to bad guys. I think, or sometimes he's 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 a hero. But you know, he's like a, a, a misunderstood god that sort of plays god and then messes things up, just like a regular god would do. <laughs> yeah, he's he's. I don't know if I ever call him a hero. He's either a villain or neutral good yeah. or new, lawful, whatever you want to classification you want to give him. He's never actually a good guy. I mean, even in the every issue of the Warlock series, he spent the entire time saying to Adam Warlock, can I just destroy the planet now? Can I destroy yeah, con- it now? Every I rem- I rem- issue. I remember, yeah. Convince me not to destroy it this time around. Yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, that, that got old fairly quick. It's but, that um, meme of the, the person sitting at the table saying, you know, fight me. That's his thing. I want to destroy Counter-Earth. Mm, fight me. Yeah. I, I think the reason why I like him personally, Al, is just because I've always liked these guys who want to further the genetic superiority of humanity or of the Earth. Like Mr. Sinister, even Apocalypse, you know, from the X-Men. Uh, the High Evolutionary is kind of in that, that league for me where he's oh, definitely. Take, taking. Yeah. So he's like very godlike in the sense that he... Uh, the stakes for him are higher, so he normally doesn't care about individuals or lives, and he would, you know, cheerfully just wipe us off the map or wipe, you know, uh, uh, individuals off the map at least. So, you know, I like that kind of aloofness, you know, that godlike uh, demeanor in a supervillain. That for me, that that's quite uh, scary. I mean, Galactus has that in Spades too, and he appears at the end of this issue. So, yeah, I yes, like those kind Galactus of villains. Galactus comes to eat Counter Earth because he figured out a loophole. I promise not to eat Earth. <laughs> I never promised I can Earth. Ah. ah, there you go. So the high evolutionary sort of set him up to fail there by creating Counter-Earth in the first place. He should have known better. Come on. But he probably didn't know about the promise that Galactus made to the Fantastic Four. In, in, in fact, it seems that only the Fantastic Four knew about that promise and the Silver Surfer that Galactus would not eat Earth. You know, so, you know, you can't fault him for creating this Counter-Earth to experiment. It's like his own personal ant farm. You know, hey, he's he's he's, te- he's typically like a kid. He behaves like a kid all the time. The high evolutionary, so oh, a kid yeah. with an ant form. But um, the destroyer happens upon, uh, you know, Counter Earth, right, L? And it seems that all uh, the high evolutionary safeguards mean nothing to him. And you know, this leads to a great slugfest between the Thing and the Destroyer, which oh, I can't yeah. ever remember seeing. I think this is the 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 first and only time the Thing has duked it out with the Destroyer. Yeah, I have no idea, but. I mean, I would assume not too often, since generally the Destroyer was a Thor thing. Yeah. You know, it's only because the Destroyer is being used as the Herald of Galactus now that he's going to encounter the FF. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, this was um, even way before, you know, guys like Terax. It seems that right after the Silver Surfer, the Galactus had a couple of heralds, you know, which which I was aware of, but, you know, I forgot about it. Now that I've read this issue, I remembered. Yeah, I think it was in Thor 228 where he co-opted the destroyer armor and infused it with some of his life force to to act as his herald. And that's after Airwalker um, didn't work out, let's say, you know, is this a couple before of before Fire Lord or after? No, after. Before I, I think Fire this Lord, is after. No, it could. No, no, it it could be after Fire Lord. I think. I, I mean, isn't there a panel in this issue where they show Fire Lord? Um, no, no, I might be wrong about that. But I, yeah, it could be before Fire Lord. You might be right. Uh, but I, I know it's definitely after Airwalker, or whatever that guy's name was. But you know, yeah, um, Galactus's right. Galactus's heralds really disappoint him over and over again, time and time again. <laughs> If you think about it, so he's got a real problem with his staff. No, the only two, I mean, he did like Airwalker. He liked Airwalker a lot, but Airwalker died. Yeah. And he liked Nova a lot too, but she died. Oh, you mean Frankie Ray, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. True, true, true. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, um, the thing gets the better of the Destroyer here, but it seems that the Destroyer sort of just allowed that. But still, um, I mean, disappointing. You know, if I was Galactus and I and I saw my servant just whiff on a fight like this, I would I would like reconsider my, you know, my 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 herald giving 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 um, powers. But the thing does, you know, uh, deliver a pretty good fight. If you think about the destroyer, I would typically consider him almost more powerful than Thor, which makes him diff- well, kind of more powerful than the thing too. Oh, well, definitely. I don't more know about in thing. your mind. But the thing really takes him out. And, I mean, we see him sprawled at the thing's feet at the very end of the issue. So, well done, Ben. Yeah. Well, um, also because he didn't really need it anymore. I mean, the Destroyer was just there to lead him to Counter-Earth, and he already was had the way. So, it's like, all right. Yeah. You know, he's, he already, his job's over with. That's right. He already notified Galactus. So, I guess you're right. These uh, action panels are just gratuitous and just <laughs> there to keep the attention of, of the young readers we were at this time, Al. But it was fun. So... But wow, what do you say about George Perez's Galactus, man? Uh, that very final panel, that is beautiful. I love the way he draws Galactus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit uh, smaller in size than I normally consider Galactus to be. But, you know, Galactus' size seems to vary. You know, whether yeah. John Byrne draws him or whether Kirby draws him, they, they all have different sizes for him. So. And I think he was pretty hungry at this point, too. So he might have been conserving energy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that might be the reason for his... Uh, uh, shall we say shrunken appearance still still quite gargantuan but it was cold yeah. there yeah oh yeah <laughs> oh that goes back to the gore one the, the quip i made earlier but yeah no no I, i've got no desire to see any of galactus's uh, parts you know other than just his massive head <laughs> i mean his massive head on his shoulders <laughs> good night everybody turn for the worst sorry Al. <laughs> damn how did we get onto that train Anyway, so um, great issue. You know, I really love the way he draws all of the FF, George Perez. So, you know, um, uh, this uh, mid-Bronze Age, mid, mid-70s mid for me was peak Perez uh, in Marvel, at least. Yeah, no, so he does a really good job, and it's a beautiful issue. Yeah, but as it pertains to Adam Warlock, you're right, not much Adam in this issue, but it, it a very effective recap, though. Of the the, the the events of Marvel Premiere number one, wouldn't you say, Al? I mean, in literally, yeah. what is it, like four panels? Four panels. Yeah, and Adam, four panels. Adam's in two of them. 
Yeah, and they they describe the entire uh, you know bit of events that we see, which was great. You know, um, uh, in Marvel Premiere Number One, I really dug that issue. Even though Gil Kane's not my favorite penciler, oh, I'm making lots of enemies out there now. I apologize, listeners, but he's he's an adequate penciler. But here, you know, I think they congested so well that you, it makes you want to go back and read Marvel Premiere Number One. I think, and which is the intent, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. And of course, uh, uh, according to Roy's notes. Hulk 178. <laughs> yep, because that's where the Warlock story ended. Yeah, and where he defeated the Man Beast. At least Volume One, right? Of yeah, of, yeah or not Volume One. I mean, Jim Starlin would take over after that, right? Well, it ended. It ended. Remember, of it, what it was? It was Marvel Premiere One and Two, and then mm. it was what good did good enough to get its own series. It got yeah. canceled with issue eight, and then they did the three Hulk issues, which tied up the whole Counter Earth story. Yeah, and then like a year or two later, they brought the series back with number nine with Jim Starlin doing it. So yeah, it is yeah. technically it's the same series, but it really, I mean, that's still it's actually a whole new series. Yeah, because I mean, it should have been called Volume One if you think about it. I mean, we could refer to that to it, it like that in our in our minds, you know, because when the Starlin epic happened, you know, it's completely like you say different. He's like going cosmic. He's going into space. Counter Earth is a distant memory. Thank God. <laughs> I didn't really like his adventures on Counter Earth that much. Yeah, and in but, fact, to um, make it more confusing, remember the count that Warlock Nine comes after the four Strange Tales issues. Oh, damn! Yes, you're right. So, oh, that is just to make Warlock's story confusing. It's Marvel Premiere One and Two, Warlock One through Eight, Hulk One Seventy Six to One Seventy Eight, Strange Tales One Seventy Eight to One Eighty One, and then Warlock Nine to Fifteen. <laughs> wow. Luckily, they've got collections that will, you know, kind of if, if you really want to get into that early storyline, you don't have the original issues. They have a I think I'm sure they have. Collections oh, there are out there. a Maybe couple of masterworks. There's there's a masterwork. There's a warlock by Jim Starlin trade. There's the essentials. They're out there. Oh, right? yeah. The essentials, of course. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, that's the defined. way. Yeah, that's the way I've got them. I've got the originals, but I don't have the Hulk 176 to 78 but i do have that in the masterworks the warlock masterworks volume one i think it is and then the masterworks volume two covers the starlin era uh but i would suggest you know obviously getting the original issues because if i don't think they're too expensive are they al i mean you would know about some are some aren't the earlier ones a little harder to find obviously Oh, okay, yeah. Like the Marvel, you know those marvel premier will be a little more expensive than some of the other ones that's and then right, some of the later Warlock and like kind of Earth issues are a little less sometimes than the Starlin ones. Yeah. But, you know, that makes it also a, a bit of fun hunting it down if you're into that kind of thing, you know, um, going to cons, looking for those old issues and, um, you know, hunting down these these issues. Where it's not too easy to find since, like you say, it's it's spread out over three different comic titles. So it could be fun, but you know I've I've given up on that. I'm just content with my collections. <laughs> hey, I I learned years ago just get the way I can read it best, and that's it. That's what I care about. That's right. L- lots of um, uh, nights that you'll be sleeping so- you know, soundly. No more sleepless nights for me. Like you know, agonizing after one issue that I'm missing. Oh man, I'm glad those exactly. days are done. <laughs> well, no, but Al, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks. Well, I'm glad because I'm glad you came on, and that's FF172. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. 
say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? <laughs> Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. <laughs> now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. <laughs> Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. But this this was a fun four issues. I enjoyed it, and I'm glad you asked us yeah. to come on for this. It, I mean, there's I, nothing spectacular a, about it, but it's amusing. Yeah, it was it's a, a fun, it fun was read. a it was a good quick. I mean, it was a quick read. You know, it wasn't too super detailed for a for a Bronze Age, but you know, it was detailed enough. That you felt you got something out of it. And yep. with the exception of the few random things about, uh, what's his, Michael O'Brien and Harry Keyes, it really is kind of self-contained story. Mm. And all that stuff was, you know, subplots to be yeah. hit upon later, which is fine. I like when they do that in books. Yeah. You know, just enough to keep you going, but still single-issue story, but enough. Each, I mean, each one was basically a single-issue story. But yeah. Well, exception of the first two, because the first one ends on a cliffhanger. Oh, that's true. Never mind. You're right. But yeah, that's a two-parter, and then kind of like a... It's actually two two-parters that kind of blend into each other a bit. But yeah, that Harry Keys thing is just kind of like, okay, Art Garfunkel, whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Although it is kind of funny, like, reading that, it's like, have you not watched the Maltese Falcon? It's not like he was beating the crap out of people. Half the time, he's being held captive. You know, people kept pulling guns on Bogart in that movie all the time and making them do what they wanted. But I like that movie, so. But that's it. At least it was enjoyable. At least it didn't suck. That's a good thing. Yep. All right, so it's plug time, boys. Plug away, Bill. Oh, wait, sorry, wrong type of plug. Uh, well, you can hear myself and Paul on Back to the Bins where we cover the usual plethora of usually books older than 10 years old, but we sometimes dip into more current things just so we can be crotchety old men. Uh, and we also, uh, along with Scott Gardner, uh, we, we all do back to the bins and we occasionally do little spotlights on special series or artists. Uh, we just will be finishing up by the time you hear this, you would have, we would have finished up burning earth Terminator, which was what now comics, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Burning Earth. We finished up that. I'm sorry, what was that? Actually, I was just looking at the calendar of my schedule. Of this this should be out like the first week of October. So we'll be in the I, midst of our uh, assistant editors run. So you're going to mm -hmm. be appearing in one of those. Yeah, and actually, ah, yes. what you said the fourth one. If that's right, I probably would have been on that done an issue with John and Will episode of Back to the Bins of John Wilson about a week or so before this. Oh, cool. Go go back and listen. And also, Paul and I are on uh, Listen to the Prophets, Deep Space Nine podcast, where we are going episode by episode with our other co-hosts, 
and sometimes revolving co-hosts. We have Andrew Leyland, and right now we have Dave Pascarella, and you can also hear Dave Weeder. And early on, uh, we were with Sean Engel, uh, who uh, unfortunately is no longer with us. But uh, we, we continue on in his memory. And then Paul has other shows that he can plug. Well, the only other show I have is Is It Yours, my movie review program, which you've both been fairly frequently uh, guests on. So links will be in the show notes, people. Thanks for having us on, Al. This was fun. Thanks for being on, guys. All right. That's all for this time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Later. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Spoon, rubber spoon, rubber spoon, rubber spoon, rubber spoon, rubber spoon.